Radio Influence. The future is now. As America's zone coach, premier thought leader, and the world's number one coach of champions, Jim Fannin is the go-to person. He has guided the careers of the best pro athletes from 10 sports and business executives from 50 industries. He has coached individuals, families, relationships, and students in simplifying and balancing their lives for more than 40 years. From winning Wimbledon, the World Series, and a gold medal, to losing 68 pounds, saving lost marriages, or overcoming financial ruin, Jim Fannin has been behind the scenes guiding individuals through the intricate process of peak performance. His success tools are not just for the superstar. They're designed to help you reach your full potential as you tap into life's most successful mindset, the zone. And now, please welcome the coach of champions and America's zone coach, Jim Fannin. Welcome to the Jim Fannin Show. I'm Jim Fannin. I've got my producer sidekick, Seth. Hey, Seth. Hello. We have a, a really fascinating conversation coming up. Uh, the, the, today's theme is optimism on the Jim Fannin Show. Uh, one of the top CGI artists in the world is uh, going to be joining us. and so From Australia. From Australia. <laughs> at uh, I, something like 2 a.m. over there or something like that. So the guy is a zoniac who really wants to have a conversation with us. But to kick things off, we always talk about who's in the zone, right? Um, which I, I, I've got to say, I mean, hopefully this doesn't count as like a hashtag humble brag. Um, you and I hadn't, you and I only met seven weeks ago, right? Um, I didn't know. I like, I love the fact that I'm learning along with the audience as we go. Um, I start putting the stuff into practice in my own business, which by the way, um, I, you know, I did the same thing I do now back in 2012. And, um, uh, the way that, you know, healthcare costs changed, um, that year, 2012, 2013, uh, due to some laws changing. And I just kind of threw in the towel. Like my health insurance went sky high and I was just like, well, let's go get a job again. I wasn't super committed to it. I kind of had this idea in my head, like, oh, maybe I'm not that good at this stuff. So I'm just not going to do it. And, I guess the thing is, if you're a starter, uh, if you start stuff, sooner or later, you're going to get the bug to start stuff again. And what I realize now is I'm like, oh, all those things I thought that were like insurmountable, insurmountable obstacles five years ago. Once I met you, I realized they're not that they're just challenges. You can find ways around them. So um, I, I go through... Um, I actually wind up with three new clients for my business uh, this past week, which, you know, that's cool, but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that I was actually at a business conference. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, somebody that I had, um, you know, done quite a bit of stuff with his charity, uh, a gentleman that, you know, is worth several million dollars and just kind of blew me off at a business conference. And, um, it, 90% of the time, that's just, uh, you know, some kind of misunderstanding, right? So I don't want to construct a narrative in my head of what this individual's sure. motivation may have been. Um, but it was a very key time for me to, to meet new people, right? And so I literally, I walked around the corner to a hallway, blank. I mean, just like there's nobody in the hallway. I did the reset right there. Uh, which maybe we actually should start almost every show with, with reminding people to do the reset. Because it's like, okay, I can obsess over this moment where I don't have the inf all the information of what happened, or I can do a reset and get back in the zone for um, this very crucial two days uh, that I need to grow my business. And I walked away with some, um, you know, some fantastic new customers. I'm excited clients. I'm excited to work with. Well, you know, the, the reboot, the reset, it, it 
it's a tool that I've been using 40 some years. In fact, Kim Warwick, uh, the father uh, of our, our guest, yes, yeah. uh, when I was coaching him uh, in tennis, professional tennis, he was rebooting uh, between uh, games, sometimes even between points. And the reboot is real simple. You shut your eyes, you unhinge your jaw, you put on the screen a space in your mind, a blank, dark screen. And no, no different than your uh, computer. If you have too many programs open, you're kind of zipping in between uh, programs, it can freeze. So what do you do? Control, alt, delete, you reboot. Your brain operates the same thing. A professional golfer, this past week, uh, during the round, PGA Championship, uh, a lot of golfers are now learning to reboot 10, 12, 14 times in a round of golf. I know when I coached Luke Donald, helping him climb the ladder to number one in the world, he was rebooting 12, 14 times uh, during a round of golf. So when you have those negative thoughts, uh, you, you start going into the past a little too much, and your inner dialogue is uh, non-champion-like, reboot. Turn your brain off. Let's get into some uh, some people and some organizations in the zone this week. Um, you know, even if you're not like a really huge baseball fan, a lot of people have seen uh, the movie Moneyball with Brad Pitt, right? And that's sure. that moment where baseball changed to be a lot more stats oriented. Um, well, apparently this year the Los Angeles Dodgers are like that times. 80. Okay. Um, so they're the first uh, team to 83 wins in the season. They're the, the fastest team to 83 wins in a season since World War II. Um, and like kind of the, the word is, is that Dodgers games like in the clubhouse um, in the dugout, uh, the term they're using is it looks like a NASA event, a NASA project they're working on. I'm going to go ahead and read straight from USA Today. Um, but the perception is, is that the managers and, um, you know, their staff are just numbers guys, but that couldn't be any further from the truth. They're down in the clubhouse all the time, interacting with players and coaches and bouncing ideas off one another. Uh, we talk just about as much about clubhouse chemistry and the right type of player we need as we do about the data. And that combination, um, is working for them in a, a fantastic way right now. Well, I, I think it's working uh, for several teams. Uh, the Houston Astros would be a, a, another team like that. You know, optimism is the belief, the expectancy, and a sense of knowing that the tasks that are in front of you will take you to your well-defined goals that'll get you to a vision of some point in time. So what's the point with the Dodgers? It's Radio to win influence. the World Series, to be the world champions, and it's contagious. That kind of optimism, that kind of belief, that kind of expectancy that 25 men have 25 different routines, pre-performance routines. They have 25 adjustments. Uh, who knows how many types of adjustment each of the 25 players might have. And they probably evaluate individually a little bit differently. But there's one thing for sure. All mindsets are heading in one direction. And that one direction is a world title, a world championship. I've seen this with many, many teams. And that confidence, that belief, it can keep a line moving on the offensive side where every hitter comes up with a different expectancy. 
oh, I believe I'm good. I believe I can hit this pitcher. But when you say, I expect to get hits, I know that I'll put the ball in play and get hits. Well, that's a totally different thing altogether. That's the kind of optimism uh, that the Dodgers are bringing to the table. And if you can remind us of, um, you, you talk about the, the science of being in the zone, the shutter speed of your eyes um, slows down. I believe the number that I've read going off my memory is that um, a, an MLB hitter has about three hundredths of a second to decide whether or not to swing that bat. Um, and so when you're in the zone and, um, you know, you, the shutter speed of your eyes slows down, walk me through how that works and how, ex- you know, the optimism to expect those hits um, looks different at the plate. Well, I, for the hitters that I've coached, I've coached some definite great hitters uh, in, in baseball. Uh, I hit solid with an accelerated bat head. That's really the essence of the craft. And you need to have optimism that uh, I'm, I'm either going to take pitches or I'm going to rake or hit pitches, and uh, I hit solid. That's really the main essence of a hitter's craft. Um, and when you focus on that every single day, and you believe that you will hit solid every day, that's an affirmation uh, that I hit solid. Uh, you just keep getting more and more confident. The best hitters clear their mind. Uh, there's no chance to be conscious uh, thought during such a small amount of time, a, a 95 mile an hour fastball coming in. So you have to really program your subconscious mind uh, to be that hitter uh, uh, that you would hope to be. And I think the other thing that uh, you can learn a lot from baseball, it's a game of failure, let's face it. Yeah. It, it's you're going to fail. This is the best in the game. This is a Hall of Famer. The Hall of Famer is going to fail 70% of the time. Uh, or more. And uh, that's not easy to deal with that type of failure. So you need optimism every single time uh, you have a bat and you step up into the batter's box. Let's go ahead and go from LA. We're going to cross the country to Spartanburg, South Carolina. Um, This is the first time I heard this kid's name and man, I'm fascinated by this story. So, you know, we can think back to uh, when LeBron James revolutionized the world of basketball. Uh, We knew he was going to do it by the time he was a sophomore in high school, right? Like the hype stars. Uh, Pretty pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, What LeBron didn't have to deal with um, was he actually didn't have to, uh, or there wasn't, you know, kind of the possibility to build his brand on his own terms. Um, So there wasn't Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, any of that stuff uh, to connect with fans. And, you know, I'm sure that you've, you've worked with athletes that, um, part of being a pro athlete to be successful or, um, you know, wherever you're at is actually being successful. But, um, if you, you go out and you're a jerk to people, um, you're not ever going to get to your full potential as far as your earning potential or what you can get done in the world. If you're, you know, if you're rude to the press, if you're rude to the staff, I'm, I'm you know, we keep a positive around here. So well, it's a mental boomerang. You know, you, yeah. you send out negatives. It's just going to come back at you. It's just a matter of time. You got to send out some positive vibes. There's no doubt about it. Well, I, I and we, we keep it positive, so I'm not going to throw anybody in the bus. But I did see a pro athlete it, within the last 30 days um, at a press conference say to a reporter, "I'm not answering that because I don't like you." <laughs> um, and th- you know that's just in business or in sports, you, you can't really operate like that um, long, you know, long term. And I don't even do want to well. think about what my father would have done to me if I'd have said, <laughs> said that said early that. in my career. Oh yeah, it would it would have been ugly. Uh, I think that's just basic respect 
for other people. Yeah. Not respect for the press. It's just decent respect. Uh, I have seen that take a turn for the worse in our society today, in all aspects of our lives. And, um, you know, w- once you start talking like a victim or being a judge, well, you're just walking miles and miles away from being a champion. And and the champion, right at the very heart and core of every champion that I've coached and been involved with, been around or just watched as as a uh, observer, they've had an amazing amount of confidence, optimism, and they exude it. They don't even need to speak. You can tell when someone's confident. Yeah, they walk in six seven. Okay, they're five eleven, but they have this presence about them. I was talking to some old-timers in baseball at an old-timers game in Boston. This is, I'm dating myself. This is decades ago. And um, they were talking about Ted Williams. And they were talking about how big he was, how tall he was. And they were arguing. He's 6'4". He's 6'3". And lo and behold, here comes Ted Williams. He didn't make that many appearances, you know, after he retired and he walks out, he's six feet tall, but the <laughs> illusion was he's six, four, he's six, five, because he had his that, confidence. He carried he himself. Had that type of confidence. Pretty amazing. So here in Spartanburg, South Carolina, um, there's a 17 year old that's really into the zone right now. Uh, you know, there, there's kind of starting to be those conversations of like, are we seeing the next LeBron James here? But what um, what Zion Williamson has the opportunity to do that LeBron James never did is uh, by the time he gets to the NBA, he really can have built a fan base that will follow his every dribble and shot uh, because he's building it now. He's using social media to build up uh, his fan base now. And um, I mean, like, you're already seeing NBA and NFL players and music stars uh, in the pop culture world that are a huge fan of this guy. Um, and he has the foresight to do this as a 17 year old and to stay humble and to continue to keep working, which um, you know, that that's definitely in the zone because we see there's so many stories about, you know, great athletes that are 16, 17, 18 years old. People tell them they're awesome and they just quite kind of quit putting the work in. It's like, Oh, well I'm awesome. Why do I need to practice? Well, I've had a few, I've had a few athletes I've coached. They started talking to, uh, about themselves as if it's another person, you know, in the third person and they take on a caricature nickname and that's who they believe they are. And I hope in this kid in, uh, uh, South Carolina is not like that. You know, you you really need to be your genuine, authentic, best self. Whatever that is, you need to be true to who you are and not try to be somebody you're not. Yeah. Not try to be a brand, you know? Yeah. You, you don't try to be a brand. You are one. Yeah. Well, your brand is really dictated on other people make you a brand, uh, but I, I think if I could give any advice to the young man in South Carolina uh, is just be true to yourself, get into your own craft, execute the basics and uh, send out positive vibes. You're going to get back positive vibes. I mean, the Internet's a double edged sword. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you can say something that uh, uh, strikes the wrong chord. And the next thing you know, you know. All holy hell is unleashed on you from the internet. And now you're in a internet war with people you don't even know. Or, um, you know, 
or you do nothing wrong and there's just people out there who like to be critical. So it's like, well, this is the best high school player we've seen in 15 years. Well, I mean, he's not that good, <laughs> you know? Well, well LeBron James I, did it better. I, I, I think, you know, my advice to the young players is uh, uh, I would not be so concerned about building my brand in my database. Uh, I'd be more concerned about executing the basics of the, of the game, yeah. especially when the money's on the table. Can you still execute? Uh, managing expectations, uh, managing your own self-esteem, that's really what it's going to come down to. Seth, I, I'll tell you something I learned a long time ago. In, in our research in 1974, that seems so long ago, but it's still so pertinent today. I witnessed something that blew me away. It actually made me sad, but it, it, it gave me a paradigm shift in, in my thinking. I'm in a gymnasium, and uh, it's an 18-month research project on how to maximize super learning. Yeah. So we have all these kids that are four and five years old, and there's a couple of hundred of them in the gym, and we've got about 20, 30 people on our team helping us manage 200 four- and five-year-olds. So it's kind of a wild rodeo kind of atmosphere. <laughs> but on a little uh, uh, bullhorn, I, I announce, if you're really, really fast, I mean, you can really run fast, I want you to go over here to this part of the gym. But if you're slow and you're not very fast at all, I want you to go over to this part of the gym. So we were trying to divide the group into what they thought regarding their own personal speed. Nobody moved. It was pretty amazing. You know, it was like, wow, did I communicate that properly? Eventually, as we leaned on the kids, are you fast or are you slow? A kid in the front row named Brent, a little short-looking, quick, sinewy muscle, already defined, he turned to his big buddy, Billy, who was by far the biggest in the gym. And he said to Billy, go on, Billy, you know you're slow. Go on over there. And Billy dropped his head. He turned the light switch to an off position, lowered his head, and he lumbers into the slow line. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, this is his buddy. You know, your friends can be brutal. And of course, Brent goes to the fast side. Now, we leaned on all the kids and said, Seth, you fast or slow? Seth, what are you? Fast or slow? Yeah, pick one. Yeah. But, okay, so go. Then we took each child, had them run a 100-yard dash. Now, for a four- and five-year-old, a 100-yard dash, that's a long way. It's a lot of steps. That's a lot. It's <laughs> more legs. than a dash. Yeah, yeah, it's more than a dash. On your mark, get set, go. We secured the time of each kid. They didn't know their time. We brought the kids back into the gym. Here's the slow kids on the left side of the gym, and here are the fast kids on the right. And then I made an announcement. The slow kids have challenged the fast kids to a race. Woo! And I, I tried to get everybody fired up. Slow kids weren't as fired up as the fast kids. The fast <laughs> yeah. kids were really ready to take on the challenge. And then unbeknownst to the two participants, it's just you and one other person racing with everyone watching. The kid that thought they were slow literally had the fastest time between the two kids. Wow. So the kid that thought he was slow literally was faster, literally, in the time that we had done privately than the kid that thought he was fast. On your mark, get set, go. 92% of the time, the kid that thought he was slow but was literally faster took the lead. 92% of the time. 
the slow kid, but he was literally faster, took the lead. 96% of the time, slowed down in the last 10 to 15 yards to lose the race. And we watched that play out over and over and over. The kids that thought they were really slow, and they may have had a parent or a teacher or a friend like Brent said to Billy, convince them that you're slow, they eventually not only believed it, they expected it, and they became slow. Now, you take that 30 years later, and whatever it is, whether it's being fast or you're smart or you're stupid, all these labels that you can put on someone between three, four, five, six years old, they can still carry that with them at 36, 46 years old. And that's self-esteem. And that comes under the jurisdiction of optimism. What you think other people think about you. I see this all the time with young athletes. Uh, in fact, I had one young athlete who was the youngest to ever qualify for the PGA Championship, uh, PGA Tour, yeah. youngest to ever qualify. When he went to his first pro tournament, he did qualify, and I helped him do that. At his first tournament, he was more concerned about how quickly he could sign his autograph because there were so many people wanting it that he practiced signing his autograph even more than uh, visualizing or preparing for the next day. He was more concerned about what other people thought about him. And that was his demise. Yeah, He was off the tour right after that. It was a tragedy, in my opinion, for a young athlete to go through that. And um, your thoughts about yourself, that's something you have control over. But you have to be aware of what you think and how you talk to yourself. Do you put yourself down? You know, I told clients, Seth, you talked, if I talked to you the way you talk to you, you'd fire my ass. I've told people that. Can you imagine? People talk to themselves so badly, that self-talk. But if I talk to them like that, they wouldn't want to be around me. They'd fire me as a coach. You have to think about what you think about, and you have to go into your inner dialogue and maybe rewrite it, eliminate the victim thoughts, the judgmental thoughts. How about the put-down thoughts? Oh, I'm such an idiot. Oh, my gosh, I don't want to go to work today. I hate my boss. I, I just hate it there. That inner dialogue that keeps pounding your optimism lower and lower into the ground to where, uh, you know, you just don't have any confidence at all. I'll tell you another defensive mechanism. It's the number one defense mechanism of all humans. Be mean to you so that people that love you won't be mean to you. So let me explain. I spill milk at breakfast. And my father's really upset, and he yells at me. And we see that the milk is now running down the floor under the refrigerator. He's very unhappy. We're going to be late. He's got to remove the refrigerator because milk's going to stink in a couple of hours, obviously. He's not happy. The next day, I spill something else, 
and my father yells at me. He's really unhappy. I told you to put the glass. Now I'm four years old. Yeah. He tells me, put the glass in the middle of the table, not on the edge. What's wrong with you? And then we go. Uh, I go to school. My dad goes to work. Mom's already off to work. Several days later, I spill a Coke in the living room, and I say, I'm an idiot. You know what my dad said? It's okay, Jimmy. Don't cry over spilt milk. And I thought, huh, that's all I wanted. If I'm mean to me, the people that love me may not only not be mean to me, they may even throw me a bone and tell me how awesome I am, which is all I wanted. I see that. We've talked about that on air before. Yeah. Uh, That really parlays right into your optimism, your own confidence. It's amazing how you can undermine and sabotage yourself. I feel like we would have stopped right here. Um, Myself and a lot of people listening would have a completely different week just off of this intro. We've got a fantastic interview to get to. uh, And uh, a gentleman who um, is definitely... A Zoniac and really wants to to share what he's learned because it's uh, the middle of the night in in Australia. His name is Grant, uh, and um, if you've if you've seen a movie uh, in the last five years that has some kind of CGI in it, I'm guessing that Grant has touched your entertainment experience. Yeah, Grant Warwick uh, is without a doubt one of the top CGI artists in the world. I'm excited to have him on. It's uh, two in the morning, one in the morning in Sydney, Australia. Uh, but he has a huge following. Uh, he uh, has Mastering CGI is the name of his company, and he uh, has all kinds of programs, and he's a teacher. Uh, he's obviously one of the best artists, but I, I'm looking forward to uh, speaking to Grant Warwick from Australia. Grant, you are, uh, without a doubt, one of the leading CGI artists in the world. Uh, I have to ask you, uh, because of Transformers and every different type of CGI, computer-generated images, I mean, there's a lot going on in your world. What's new? What's happening just in the industry of CGI? Now, like, it's getting to a point, like, where I just finished watching uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, and nine out of the 10 shots are crossing that boundary. You know, you, you, your suspension of disbelief is fading. So I, had, I had no idea apes could talk so well. <laughs> yeah. It's, pretty, it, it's yeah, impressive. Very, it's so Very real. scary. You, you the, know. Amount of, <laughs> the amount of work that just goes into just like it's 30 years of studying just like hair fibers and how water interacts with the fur, like all of that, simu- you know, all of it's simulated all of that work is like manually put in and knowing the guys that work on it, you know, they lose so many months of their lives to achieve it. But to me, that's probably the most exciting thing that photorealism is finally starting to really cross over into that. Well, you you know, now, now you, you not only can see it, but you can pick up the emotion, the emotion of what's on the screen really is what's, uh, changed everything uh these characters do have emotion do have passion do have confidence or lack of confidence it's amazing it is so real our show today is about optimism and it's about confidence and trusting your own skill set you know when i met you you were uh not uh 
at the peak of your confidence and optimism, uh, actually uh, uh, the reverse. And I remember our, our first discussion. I think we did a Skype session uh, mm-hmm. from behind my house, Lake Fantasy. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yes. you know, I, I'm sitting in a, a chair uh, doing some meditation. But uh, talk about that place in your mind. Where were you in terms of optimism and confidence at that time? I think what what had happened is is I severely underestimated how quickly the mind can forget how to focus on things like being optimistic and confident, and it's kind of very similar to the way the body works. You know, if you if you stop working out, eventually you hit a point where it's near impossible to. It feels like it's impossible to get back in the gym and get back the the muscle and the the fitness. And the, my mind was the same. I just over time, I didn't realize it was happening, but it slowly slipped from me. And then you look out in front of you and you kind of, you're trying to snap yourself out of it and you don't have the tools to do it because it feels like the mountain you're trying to climb is, is too big. And did, did you get away from uh, being a, a great CGI artist and because you were trying to become a CGI artist business? And you're trying to wear two hats simultaneously. And uh, uh, did that erode your passion for the art itself? Well, deep down, deep down, I always, the, the reason why I, I run the, my business and, and don't work in the industry is because I found more joy helping other people. And no matter what's happened, that's always been there. Like deep down, that's what drags you out. You know, that's what makes you keep wanting to improve because you're getting feedback from guys where you're literally changing their lives. You know, they're getting jobs with the information and the tools you're sharing with them. So that was always there, but other influencing things that can drain that, that motivation were what was really affecting me. And and I didn't know how to fix those things. You know what I mean? I, I had, I wanted to, I always wanted to, but when you continually fail to recover and get back to where you were, that begins to erode that confidence. I I know when, when we first started uh, working, the very first thing we did was create a blueprint. And, um, uh, but I, I hope it was a little bit different than what you had, had thought. It was a blueprint, not just for your CGI business, but it was actually a blueprint for every aspect of your life. Uh, tell me about your experience creating that blueprint. And of course, I was pushing you to you know, yep. keep yep. ramping it up, take it to another yep. level. Tell me about that experience. Well, I had accepted in, in my own mind at that point that all I had to focus on was the business and recovering the business. And that was a mistake. You know what I mean? Putting all the focus on that one thing kept everything else out of balance. And that's where reading your book at the same time that we started to talk, I began to realize again that when things were going good, all areas of my life were going good, not just the business, but everything. And those initial talks I had with you reiterated that I had to focus on an overall balance. And I remember one of the first things I was like, I was stressing so much about getting, getting the new content out for the guys. And one of the things you repeatedly said to me was just, Take your time and take a break. You know what I mean? Don't work yourself too hard. Just work with, like, work with a 
what's the word I'm looking here for? Like work. Well, with the purpose. With 100% effort, yeah, with a purpose, you know. But when you are working, switch in and, and try and get in the zone and then take a break. Don't worry about it. Focus on other things. And I wasn't doing that. I got so stressed on the problem that I, everything else began to slowly come out of balance. And as soon as I realized that, I was like, it, it was very eye-opening for me because it, it makes so much sense in hindsight. But when you're in that, when you're in that struggle, a lot of things that make sense now don't then. And that was the eye-opener for me. Well, the one, to- one of the things I've learned, I, I've coached a lot of artists. Uh, you were my first CGI artist, but I've coached a lot of literal just artists and sculptures. <laughs> yeah. um, one of the things I've realized early on in my career is this type of person, you, you and, and any CGI artist listening, you all could go on some serious concentration binges where you don't even leave the computer. You're so locked into what you do. I mean, you're really locked into a zone state. I think an artist, yeah, an artist like yourself uh, can really lock in for an inordinate amount of time uh, where things just kind of get lost and you look up and you're like, holy cow, it's 530 in the morning. Uh, Absolutely. Were you on that treadmill? That It's a great treadmill of being in the zone, but the recovery from it, uh, you have no energy, uh, you're apathetic. Tell me about that treadmill. I was absolutely was not in, like I was not in the zone. At no point was I wanted to be and I'd sit down at the computer and basically just for people who are listening and don't really understand what my business is, in CGI, I, I'm trying to teach people how to make images look more photorealistic. So you've got to do a lot of research into the, fundamental theory behind what actually makes things realistic. You know, you've got to understand a lot of things and it's, it takes a lot of thought, you know, you've got to put a lot into it and it's not like working in the industry. And when you start teaching it, you've got to really understand it. And I hit a point where I felt like it was too complicated for me. I just couldn't solve some of the issues. So the difference is if, if you're in the zone, you can sit there for 12 to 48 hours straight, just smashing out really good content and work. But when you have that artistic block, you can sit there for two to three hours, get frustrated, you you step away, and then you try and reset. You know, you take, you stop doing things for three, four hours, you come back, and the same problem happens again and again. When you're in the zone, when when you are 100% confident in what you're going to do, it happens instantly. You sit down at the computer and then bang, the first mouse click, you're in. You know, there's no build up, there's no warm up, it's just how it is. And it's very frustrating when you go from working like that pretty much 100% of the time to feeling stuck, you know, feeling like, how do I get past this? That was a very new experience for me because up until that point, my work ethic always got me through. You know, I always could brute force a problem, I could always solve something just by sitting at the computer for an extended period of time and then eventually the solution appears and that stopped happening. So the treadmill wasn't moving, you know, it was stopping and starting, stopping and starting. I yeah, that's a, that's, a scary, that's a scary place to be. I think a lot of athletes have hit that place where <laughs> uh, they're not sure what to do their next move. I know the first yeah. thing that we did, Grant, was we created a 90-day plan Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you were working backwards from B to A with that plan of seeing the end result, seeing the programs finished, seeing your database grow. And, and the other thing that you, you really uh, became passionate about was uh, you became very concerned about the thoughts and feelings of your students and you yes. stopped thinking about yourself. Tell me about, that was a paradigm shift for you. Tell me about that. It made me realize why I started it. You know, when, you, when, you, when you're trying to rebuild something and you don't go back to where your initial passion came from, then you're not going in the same direction. You're not going to have the same result. And after speaking to you, one of the things you were pushing on me was get the students involved again. You know, I don't know how you're going to do it, but just get them involved. Start thinking about what they want. So my thought process went from, okay, how do I start making money again? How do I start, you know, solving the website issues, whatever, whatever issues there were. And instead my prime focus became what do my customers want? What, what are they waiting for? You know that. And then as soon as you start asking yourself the right questions, it's easy. You know, you can start going down the right path. Okay. Well, what is the industry focusing on right now? What, what do people need to know? And then I had a purpose again, instead of just trying to come up with a solution, I just, I went down a path that made sense because I'd already done that before. And you just reminded me to go back and and focus on what is actually important. Well, I think the other thing is that uh, you realize that you're far more than a CGI artist. You're much more than that. You know, you're an, an awesome soul having multiple human experiences. Well, and and uh, that, I think, was a revelation. You were so much more than, uh, uh, you know, just an artist. Yeah. I mean, I'd done just before I, before I met you, I'd done a live class and, and that changed a lot for me. But in the process of my dad trying to get me involved with you and, and get me talking to you, I started doing research. And I remember seeing one of your videos on YouTube where you were presenting at a PGA meeting on, on golf 2.0. It didn't really matter what the subject was, but I realized that I just kind of felt like I could be like that. Like you're the way you were influencing the crowd and that, that having that hundred percent confidence in, in what you were saying made me realize that like, hang on, I'm teaching and I, I'm always very critical of myself and, I realized that you can be as critical as you want as an artist, but if you're trying to teach people and you're trying to get your point across, a lot of what you were doing made complete sense to me. And I realized I wasn't doing that. So it got me thinking, all right, I want to start doing public speaking because if I've got the confidence in my art, all I've got to do is gain the confidence in expressing that to people. And then I can be way more influential. I can get my points across way more effectively. So I started practicing public speaking and then ended, obviously I ended up going to Singapore and, and doing the live talk and that just changed a lot for me. I realized that getting out there and being more like you were was instantly having a positive effect on me because I just stopped thinking about all the technical stuff. I, you made me think bigger, you know what I mean? Instead of, instead of just thinking about what your next lesson is going to be, think about like what you are going to be in the industry, you know, not your lessons, like you as a person. 
Well, I mean, you're so skilled uh, as an artist, um, and uh, you did make a paradigm shift to being an influencer of thought. Yes. Uh, but not just in the mechanics of CGI, uh, of shading uh, uh, one of your projects with lighting yep. and all the different things that you're a, a world expert at, uh, but you also started thinking about how to make the CGI artist experience not only better, but even more productive. And I think Absolutely. that's something that you're really uh, able to bring to the table right now uh, to all the CGI artists globally. How can I get in the zone, but still have a life and not be uh, Absolutely. Ball, ball and chain 24-7 to my computer? You're so much more than that. Took not just learning just like one or two new things, uh, the lesson I created, but it took like, learning about photography, composition, color theory, so many things that I didn't have experience with just, just for whatever reason. And then I knew that straight away it was going to take, like I'm, I'm a, a perfectionist. I couldn't release a tutorial if I knew that it wasn't going to be perfect. And so I hit a point where I was like, I can't, I, I don't, know if I'm smart enough or I, and for the first time in my career, because I had expectations outside of just a boss telling you, can you make it look better? I like thousands of people waiting for lessons to, to influence them. The pressure got to me and I just realized that I wasn't going to be able to do it. And so I lost motivation. Then at the same time, personal issues came into play, you know, outside of my control and it just compounded the issue because then not only on top of trying to solve how to do this lesson, I was trying to solve personal issues, you know, relationship issues. And it just, I just felt a bit helpless. And then well, was, in one of the things, uh, the very first thing we did, we segregated your life into separate arenas. Uh, you're the son of uh, obviously your parents, uh, you're a brother. Uh, you got your own money. Uh, you've got your mastering CGI business. Uh, you've got uh, your friends. Uh, you've got hobbies uh, that you enjoy. And we segregated your life into these different standalone arenas. And you selected well-defined visions and goals for each of them. Mm -hmm. And I, I think at, at that point, I've, I really felt the light bulb go on in your mind when you realize that you were so much more uh, than just a CGI artist. And, um, and then the other paradigm shift, uh, you changed your inner dialogue. Uh, and, and Grant, you, you were masterful, if I do say so, in, in changing that. You started talking to yourself in a more positive way. Mm -hmm. I remember the day we got, I think I hung up on you. Uh, when you said the P-R-O-B-L-E-M word. Yeah, you went from uh, a problem-oriented to solution-oriented, but in every phase of your life. And that I, was a major change. Absolutely. But you know, you know what, though? Like out, outside of that, what you made me realize is it. So in my life, there's been a few key things I've done that I can really say have changed me. And one of those things was meditating. And so I used to use meditation as a way to, to stop overthinking. But what you did is, is you changed my focus on meditating 
in order to solve things and swapped it over to visualizing, which in, in, in my experience is still very similar to meditating, except you're meditating with a purpose. And so as soon as I started, like I, I would used to meditate and I'd be like, oh, I feel so much better. I'm not stressed about all these issues, but it still doesn't solve the problems. You know what I mean? It makes you calmer in mind. But when I started speaking to you and you started forcing me to visualize a goal, visualize a plan, visualize what I was going to do the next day, visualize what I was going to do in the next 10 minutes, just like meditating had a massive effect on my life, that did too. And meditation also altered the way I thought in a couple of weeks. So visualizing had that same effect, maybe even a stronger effect because like I said, you're not just emptying your mind, you're focusing on solutions. So I realized as soon as I started to visualize and laser beam my thoughts onto the, the problems, then the solutions started coming. And that, that, and, but also visualizing the different areas separately rather than visualizing just one big grand plan like you said, trying to visualize the individual components and spending the time rather than sitting at a computer, solving it, work half as hard at the computer, but spend the other half of your time mentally preparing yourself. I think one of the analogies you used was if you're going to chop down a, if you're going to chop down a tree, do you spend five hours doing it with a blunt ax or do you spend half an hour sharpening the ax? You know, and that analogy had a major effect on me because I realized I was using a, a not even like the axe at the head was gone months ago. I was just <laughs> hacking at the tree with a stick. A spoon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just like hacking at the tree with a spoon. So that made me realize, okay, go, go back, change it, actually focus on the things that matter. And you just, I think having, like I told myself these things over and over, stop, change. But until, uh, sometimes you need help. You know, sometimes you need someone as an outside influence to consistently reiterate those themes so that you do. And I, like you saw me when we first started speaking, I was teeter-totting, you know, as you'd say it. I was saying to you, I'm in the zone. And then the next day I wouldn't be. But the gaps between me going in and out of the zone began to shrink over time. And that was, that was a very positive experience. I, I think the differential, uh, of your best and worst uh, days, uh, that is a pathway of greatness when that differential starts to shrink. Yes. And, and you started hitting a high daily standard, which really uh, started gaining traction for your business, mm -hmm. uh, your database, uh, the response from uh, everybody that you've worked with. Uh, you really have, have, have changed uh, not only your mindset, but I, I know you're on a pathway of changing uh, CGI artist mindset globally. And um, I, 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 I want to be sure and put this in. How does someone reach you? What, what's the best way to contact you, a young CGI artist who uh, uh, wants to be a part of whatever the next great thing is or wants to have some of your lessons? What's, what's the best way to reach you? My, my email is admin at masteringcgi.com.au. Hey, Grant, thank you again for the time. Um, this has been such no a worries. fascinating conversation that, that certainly helped me, and I know it was going to touch a lot of other people too. That, just thank you again. Well, no I, I, I'm excited about your career in the next five years, how many CGI artists you're going to impact 
and, and you're going to push the needle, if you will, to uh, another level of CGI with all your contacts worldwide, with all the experts that you have as affiliates. Uh, it's going to be a fun time in the next 60 months. I'm looking forward to uh, watching uh, all of this unfold. Thanks a lot, Grant. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, guys. I highly recommend reading the scorebook. That reiterated everything Jim's talking about for me. We're going to get into questions, which, by the way, if you want to ask uh, something, uh, you know, you, you've got a challenge that you'd love Jim to help you overcome, you can tap into um, the same world-class coaching that, uh, you know, the, the titans of industry and artists like Grant Warwick and, you know, and pro athletes in 10 sports have access to by sending an email. I mean, that's a pretty good deal, right? Ask Jim at jimfannon.com. That's ask Jim at jimfannon.com. Um, you don't need to just sit there and stew on your problems. Shoot us an email. We'd love to make it a part of the show. Um, I'm going to ask a follow-up question to this interview um, before we, we get into you know, kind of the mailbag here, Jim. And that is uh, that somewhere along the, the way, you, know, you, you, you talked in the intro about a lot of us learn to be mean to ourselves so that other people won't at a very young age, right? Um, somewhere along the way, myself included, a lot of us start to go, I will sit here until my homework is done. Um, I will not eat. I will not sleep. I will not go into the zone of enjoyment in the score system. I'm going to sit here. And then we wonder why it doesn't work. Um, wh- where does that come from exactly? Like, how do we learn um, that, like, the, the, the false premise that the way to solve a problem is to not deny yourself food, water, sleep, and enjoyment? Oh, my gosh. I mean, grow, growing up, my coaches, uh, we'd be punished. Uh, no water, no water at all, because we didn't deserve it. I, I had many coaches that deprived uh, uh, not only myself but my teammates uh, from drinking water, uh, and, and they would put us down and uh, don't do this, do this. A lot of negativity. I, I think coaching, though, and teaching really has evolved uh, quite a bit in the last 30, 40 years. There's more positive, great teachers, great coaches. Uh, I think than ever before, and I think it's a paradigm shift of uh, more coaches uh, on the landscape that's going to be even better, better motivators and influencers of thought. And you know, so if if you had that, if you had your junior high coach tell you that you can't, you know, you can't get a drink of water until you hit that free throw, and then if I can pull in a, a really important piece of information that you shared in the last episode, one percent drop in hydration equals a ten percent drop in focus. Correct. Um, yeah, that's pretty scary. So if, yeah, if we, you, we need water, we need water bad. Um, you know, so if you were in that situation where, you know, a coach treated you in that way or, or, you know, or in the arts or something like that as a kid, and then you carried that into your, your work life or your, you know, professional sports life or whatever, uh, you know, the easiest way to succeed is just to break that cycle because it's, it's a very quick downward spiral when you can't focus. Well, you can't have any water until you hit a free throw. Well, you can't hit a free throw because you can't focus. Um, and you know you don't have you don't have to live under that system anymore. Selling you on the awesomeness of you should be everyone's quest. And and I'll tell you, uh, at one point in my life, this is forty years ago. I didn't want seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. I needed seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay, unpack that for me. What, what, is, let, what does that let, mean? Let me explain. I I bought an indoor tennis club. And uh, I paid for the furniture and the business up front. 
several hundred thousand dollars. Couldn't afford the building and the land, so I had a deferred closing 36 months later at a fixed price. So no matter if the real estate went up or down, 36 months from now, I needed to go get a loan from a bank. And uh, I just started uh, my career here in Chicago. This was in the 70s. And um, so here I am. I go in 30 days before I needed the loan. And I thought I had the loan. And I go into the bank where the banker had said, oh, yeah, 750 grand. That's no big deal. Your numbers look really good in the last three years. Uh, you've made all your... Uh, Payments and in fact, uh, your your business is thriving. So I go in uh, with a meeting uh, that's scheduled, and the receptionist says, oh, "You can't meet with him." I said, "But but I have an appointment. You can't meet with him." And I'm like, "You know, I got thirty days now." The value of the property had gone up substantially. So the guy that was going to sell it to me, he hopes I can't get seven fifty. Yeah. And if I don't get seven fifty, I'm probably going to lose my house because the loan, uh, the everything's tied to uh, the business. So here I am in a quandary. I need seven fifty. Well, I go in, I barge my way into this meeting, and the banker is swearing and banging his head literally on his desk. And I'm like, "Wow, what's what's going on? Are you are you all right?" He goes, "Oh, Jim, I, I can't meet." I said, "Well." What's the matter? He goes, I just got fired. I'm like, oh, no. What happened? He goes, the bank got bought out, and I got fired. I, I, and immediately, I started thinking selfishly, what about my 750? Yeah. You know, so I'm like, well, what about my, my loan? He goes, impossible. I don't work here anymore. I'm cleaning out my office. So I, I left the bank going, oh, my gosh, I've got 30 days? And I need seven hundred fifty grand. I don't want it. I need it. I've got no option. Without a building and land, how am I going to have an indoor tennis club when I don't have a building? So I go to the bank across the street, and of course they said no. You need what? When? No. I saw another bank. No. A third bank. No. I saw three banks that day. No. 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 That night. My confidence was definitely low. My optimism was not as high as it was the day before when I thought that I had this loan. I started a 60-second commercial, me talking to me about the awesomeness of me and the awesomeness of my tennis club and the awesomeness of how I'm going to help all these young tennis players get into this zone using my score system. Anyway, that was my little... uh, uh, selling me on me around the block. The next day, I saw four more banks. No, 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 no. Seven banks, no. That night, I walked around the block, and I did a little commercial. I'm Jim Fannin. I've got this club, and I started just talking out loud. I'm sure my neighbors thought I was nuts, <laughs> and I was uh, talking out loud about the awesomeness of my club. 28 days went by. I've got two days to come up with 750, and I've had 39 no's. I'm still selling me 28 days in a row, walking around the block. On the 30th day, the 43rd bank, they said yes. 
And then after I get this loan, of course, I'm relieved. After I get this loan, I ask them, why did you loan me that money? I told them the truth. I got turned down by 42 banks. How did, and he said, I just had a gut feel that everything was going to be good. And I realized that gut feel came to me. Why did 42 banks turn me down? The same numbers uh, that I showed every bank. Why the 43rd? The numbers hadn't changed. You know what changed, Seth? I changed. And one of the things that I would like everybody listening, if you've got a challenge or you're trying to go to that next level, whatever it is, and you need a shot of optimism, some confidence, more belief or expectation, write a 60-second commercial like you're giving it on TV, talking about the awesomeness of you. It's time that you sell you on you. I think that's the greatest sales job in the world. And I've helped every one of my clients, every client, Seth, they've got to leave that sales pitch on my phone. It's a daunting task, even for some of the superstars. Yeah. They've got to deliver it, and they've got to blow me away. Of course, I listen to it, then erase it. Some of them, I have them do it over again. But that inner dialogue, it needs to come out and lead the way to whatever dreams that you have. Let's go ahead and just do one more, uh, one more audience question, and then we're going to get into some more next week. Ask Jim at jimfannon.com just because of time here. I think this is coming from a pretty good place. You talk a lot about simplicity, right? Like really just dialing back and, and focusing on the zones of your life, uh, the arenas of your life, rather. Sorry. Um, dear Jim, how many parts of my life can I be in the zone in at the same time? Which actually, I think we answered in this episode, all of them. I was recently promoted to a VP position at my job and my family is doing great. I'm finishing up my MBA at Indiana University, but I also want to launch an app. Um, I just have no idea how this is going to fit into my life for the next six months. How much is too much to be in the zone? Well, you can have too many goals. There's no question about it. Most, uh, most humans, most of us uh, will have anywhere from eight to 12 segregated separate aspects of your life. We call them life arenas. So you, 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 you can have that many. Now, if you have more than that, and you have three jobs and four hobbies and uh, multiple wives, <laughs> hey, I, you, might, you might live in Utah. I don't know where you would live, but if you have all that going on, something has to give. You only yeah. have so many thoughts, and, and uh, you have to manage those thoughts on a regular basis. I think for this particular thing, I would set up uh, a vision for the app. I'd work backwards. I can build this app in six weeks, for example. Uh, that's going to be about 40, 45 days. And uh, what am I doing on day 44, 40, 39, 35, 30? I'd walk it backwards. I'd see the app being used by uh, other people besides yourself. And uh, I would carve out X amount of time just for that app. But it has to be a standalone and not interfere with anything else. Well, and the good news about this question, uh, this, this person says that they're done with grad school in six months. I promise you, the odds of smartphones going out of style within six months are very, very, very slim. So that's probably going to be there to be your goal here in six months, too. Uh, it probably would. In fact, uh, the task at hand is finishing the last six months, get in the zone, 
Uh, and then I agree with you. You can always work on that app later. Now let's let's pull into the Zone Cafe as we wrap this thing up and um, and send you out to have an incredible week where you're in the zone um, in the arenas of your life. So the five me- the five things on the uh, on the menu as well, always. Well, you're pulling up now into the driveway uh, of the Zone Cafe. Uh, we only have five things on the menu uh, as we do every week, uh, but you can choose whichever meal that you would like, all the way down to. Uh, an enjoyment, happy meal. So you can have a big slab of self-discipline. Maybe that's what you need to jumpstart, uh, you know, the next seven days. Uh, or maybe you need a bucket of concentration uh, so you can focus like the cheetah, like we talked about uh, last week. Maybe you need some concentration in your life. Or maybe, based on today's show, you need uh, some optimism, uh, a... Uh, a big plate full of optimism spilling over, uh, and that's belief, expectancy, it's trust, you know, that you trust that what you have is enough, it is your self-esteem, maybe you need that, or maybe you need a giant drink of relaxation, that cool, refreshing relaxation that melts away worry and anxiety, Uh, you won't have any at all, and fear is completely gone, or maybe you need uh, a little dopamine and you need a big uh, shot or two of enjoyment. You choose what you need. That's something that uh, you'll work on. You have higher low levels of self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, enjoyment at any given time. It creates a domino-like chain, and you are responsible for the weakest link. You're responsible for all repairs. So place your order at the Zone Cafe, self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, or enjoyment. Place your order. And, um, you know, we'll see you next week as we continue to help you build success in the the arenas of your life and getting into the zone. But just as a reminder, as, as we go out here and you say, you know, you need to, you, you're responsible for your weakest link. Don't forget, there's some dynamite stuff in the past episode. Don't be uh, hesitant to go back and grab those on your journey. And I want to give one last shout out. I know Justin Thomas uh, wins the PGA. Congratulations. But even more importantly, someone that doesn't get all the accolades, Jimmy Johnson. I know Jimmy pretty well. That's Justin Thomas's caddy. Uh, He knows the zone. He knows the score system. Congratulations on being on the bag Uh, uh, of a great young player, and congratulations on winning the Wanamaker Trophy uh, of winning the PGA Championship. Congratulations, Jimmy Johnson. Until next week, be in the zone, everybody. It's the only place to be. Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. If you're a serious athlete, a weekend warrior, parent, or coach, join us each week as we investigate the latest trends and research coming out of the sport performance world. We'll visit with top athletes, coaches, and sports scientists to keep you on the cutting edge and to find out what it truly takes to achieve human maximum performance. You can visit us online at crushperformance.com and Crush Performance Radio with me, Jeff Kershell, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at Radio Influence.